So you're getting some sense of what I mean by fields. Maybe it doesn't immediately click, but you I just put it there and you just keep uh, feeling it out because it helps to dissolve the sense of separate entities, solidity, I am some separate being, you know, in a void, bashing up against other people like billiard balls. You know, and it's not because necessarily there has to be incredibly deep bonding, but just that we're in a mutual experience. Um, you can't deny that. And, and it, unfortunately, it is sort of denied or half denied. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, differentiation boundaries which are necessary become stone walls. Differentiation just helps to moderate our energies with each other. There's a sense of respect, an intrusion, an obstruction, and then they can flex. There's differentiation certainly in the fields, <coughs> and including one's own, you know, what seems to be one's own intimate field. You know, how, you know there's areas where you feel a bit difficult to get to or uncomfortable or blocked and you just have to you know, practice with that trust, opening, warming, gentleness, inclusion, even the difficult bits, breathing through, breath, tra- breath can travel through everything, energy of breath, energy of kindness can travel through everything, even these walls. Mm-hmm. So, <coughs> fields. And fields helps us to recognise both the, uh, you know, like imagine iron filings in a magnetic field, the kind of frag- these little paces somehow held in particular patterns. You know, so breath, breathing is a pattern, isn't it? You know, you may say incrementally there are long breaths, short breaths, half breaths, long. You know, you can detect a particular point of a breath. But those are like particles in something that's just flowing, right? You know, it's a flowing field. And as you become more sensitive to that, you can, I'm suggesting and I expect that you feel the quality of that filling parts of your body that perhaps are not associated immediately with respiration, what we understand respiration to be. You can feel it in your skin, you can feel it in your flesh, you can feel it in your face, behind your eyes, and so on. And it's, that's the point. Buddha says, Sabatkaya, thoroughly sensitive to the entire body and then calming the bodily energy. Mm-hmm. This is a field. Mm-hmm. And it's a field. That's a reasonable way to talk about it. And the, the, the field of chitta. Then there's all these particular images and moods and pieces of memory flicker and there's a sense of something, there's continual flows and even those continual flows is an anxious flow or a happy flow and different images pop up in that. And there's, uh, you know, difficult ones and happy ones and so forth and different <coughs> images and sub-narratives appear within that. And as we hopefully you know, practice as we begin to, you know, deepen and steady and put energy through those, they begin to, the images begin to melt, soften, and it's just these, you know, 
more primary fields of being affected, being sensitive, responsive, something wishing or moving forward, enthusiasm or resistances, and breathing through that till it becomes more even. This is called the field of equanimity. Yeah, which is equanimity, which is a very wide, all-inclusive um, chitta field, if you express it through the language, roughly speaking, of emotion. But it's not not exactly what we call emotion in the ordinary sense. Uh, our language is rather limited, and so we think emotion is just these more um, poignant experiences of love or hate. But there are subtler qualities of inclination, um, opening, uh, resisting, trembling, that you really find difficult to have words for. But often they're expressed in the body like how much space you seem to need to feel comfortable. Or something you want to move, you want to do something wants to kind of express itself, come out. And at this level you can feel them all of it you can feel in your body and at primary level this also affects one's, one's bodily shape you see what I mean, sometimes you feel really small and sometimes you feel big and sometimes you feel expanded and sometimes you feel contracted and sometimes you feel like your skin's disappeared and you're kind of out there and sometimes you feel bricked in <laughs> and you know what's happening it's the same, seems the same old lump of meat on one level but there are bodily effects. This is the field effects. And just to recognize that, you know, we can think, oh, this is me doing, oh, what's happening to me? This is not me. You know, this, these are fields. Uh, and some these human fields interact. It's an effective field. So human fields interact. And naturally, we, we don't, when the fields pick up, feel hatred, joy, love, trust, and they respond to that, just like an animal would. You don't need language. And you can definitely sense it with animals. They, they know, they, they sense it. So here we are in this human, human predicament with all these, you know, intersecting fields of stuff, and quite, perhaps naturally, many people sense we'll just Shut that off, it's too much, do my thing. <laughs> Which is understandable, but of course then you're not actually out of it. You still it's you just kind of stop dealing with it. <laughs> so you sort of cut it off and okay, and then you try to handle what you can until you can until that becomes more available. Mm-hmm. And of course the most available um, Means is dana, generosity, and good deeds. Then we can open, and there's a reasonable chance that as we open, that will be that will be accepted, that will be received. So then, oh, it's nice. I can actually open into a, into the human experience with a sense of yeah, this will be okay. <coughs> So, the, um, as I was saying earlier, practices, Dhamma practices, I can categorize them in terms of, of um, you know, though I don't 
I don't really don't like categorizing, but there's there's tendencies to to emphasize energy. I mean, energy like calming, steadying, strengthening. Uh, what is calm? Strengthened. Hmm? Refresh. It's energy, isn't it? It's not you're not doing things to your muscles. It's energy. Hmm? What is calm? What is strengthened? What is soothed? What is brightened? That's 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 energy. Vitality. Hmm. Right? Say heart energy, body energy, the two together. So anything that does that, we call that work on energy, and you might say it's called samatha, calming, steadying, soothing. It's metta, has the same effect, it's a calming, steadying, soothing. It's ironing out the crinkles in, in the field and spreading it out. Okay. And, you know, this, uh, and then there's the... Uh, there's practices and emphasis on view, on understanding, on being able to assess what's going on so that one can in fact guide oneself in this. You get a figure, you begin to explore, oh, where did that where did it cause that? Where did that come from? Oh yeah, when I do when it goes like that, it goes like that. This is called wisdom, banya, view. It's just the ability to, to, to assess and differentiate. And you know, part one aspect of that you know, call vipassana, but um, you know, vipassana is just one expression of this of this wisdom faculty, looking into reviewing what is the conditions that support this, what is the conditions that cause this to decline. This is the emphasis on view, and the two together considered. You have to have the two together to cultivate the two. Um, because even though you may have it absolutely perfectly sorted out as a theoretical view, unless you're feeling it energetically, it's not cutting the mustard. Um, you know, you, you, you've got to, you know, you may understand things like metta and calm and so forth, but naturally unless you're it's getting into your tissues, into your heart, it's not, you know, doing it and you just feel, well, I've I got it, but I haven't got it, I'm a failure, I can't do it. Or you think you can, but you're actually not doing it. So it's to be directly experienced. So, because um, you know, much of our lives are lived in the abstract realm of times and dates and business and accounts and money and future. Um, you know, really often retreat. You just spend quite a bit of time just getting back into direct experience, just coming out of the abstracted world, which is not. It's just the way it is. It's not everybody's fault. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> well, don't bother with that. But uh, <laughs> it's the way it's set up for organisation, and it kind of works in its own weird way. In terms of organisation, doesn't work in terms of harmony and happiness. But, uh, <coughs> uh, so there's that. So we're just coming out of that into direct experience. But not to not to say that. You know, there can be a kind of abstraction which is not the abstraction where abstraction completely dissociates from that which it's referring to. It's an abstraction which just lives and reviews. Uh, I can say this about this. And that's because it's still referring to direct experience. When abstraction becomes a problem, when it completely dis- dislocates from what we're talking about, yeah, and says, you people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or, or you know, um, 
people in Syria, people in Iraq, migrants, immigrants, you know, it just creates a label. We haven't actually met any of them. We're already deciding who they are and what they need. We haven't actually talked to any of them. This is when it abstracts, doesn't it? To a very destructive uh, um, behaviour then can occur without people really recognising. I just bomb them. Well, I don't know where they are. Somewhere over there, bomb them. <laughs> sort them out, you know. <laughs> Bad guys. Uh, so then you, the human beings, we do this to each, to each other mm-hmm. through the power of that abstraction. If you actually had to hear the screams, smell the blood, see the crying, you probably, you wouldn't, probably wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And actually, people who are in those combat zones end up pretty much traumatised by, by dislocation of that. So, but just to get back to that, so the this so there's a skillful abstraction which is view. It's not really I call it abstraction, but sense of lifting to review. That's the wisdom element. But that's always re-entering. Is this right? Check it out. Figure it out. How does it feel? It's always negotiating and assessing. What happened there? How was that? How did it check it out? How does it feel? And this is your learning process. And two together. So the Buddha said, you know, without samadhi, there's no path. Pretty straightforward. So we need to deepen into that just to to have something we can actually get a, an assessment of. And then without right view, there's no no liberation. So you need the two. So when we enter the language field, which is the field of concepts, and these of course have their power, as we all know, we start using some strong language about people, what's it now, it's Muslims, terrorists, migrants, immigrants, you start using, slinging these words around, then stuff happens, you know, powerful stuff happens, without having met anybody, you know. So this is politics. So entering the language, you're recognizing the potency of that to to what it can do for good and for bad and for good. <coughs> How we address. Mm. Um, the Buddha's language, field, even though it's in a strange language, ancient language, and that's it's translated into an even stranger language, you know, where the two languages don't exactly meet, um, we have to be a bit generous with that and, and take that, bear that in mind. Um, but what it's trying to say in many ways is that, uh, well, I'll just I'll give you a quote, I don't really like you know, re- reading to you because it brings a third person into the room. But I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> and what because is wrong view, there is nothing given, nothing offered, nothing sacrificed. No fruit or result of good and bad actions, 
No this world, no other world. No mother, no father. No beings who are reborn spontaneously. No good and virtuous recluses and brahmins in the world who have realised for themselves by direct knowledge and declare this world and the other world. This is wrong view. And there is nothing more harmful. I see no one fact that is more harmful, more conducive to corrupt mental states than wrong view. And what is right view? <coughs> there is what is given, what is offered, what is sacrificed. There is fruit and result of good and bad actions. There is this world and the other world. There is mother and father. There are beings who are reborn spontaneously. There are in the world good and virtuous recluses and Brahmins who have realised for themselves by direct knowledge and declare this world and the other world. This is right view. This is right view affected by taints, partaking of merit, ripening in acquisitions. Mm. And what is right view that is noble, taintless, supramundane, a factor of the path, the wisdom, the faculty of wisdom, the power of wisdom, the investigation of states enlightenment factor, the path factor of right view, in one whose mind is noble, whose mind is taintless, who possesses a noble path, and is developing the noble path. This is right view that is noble, mundane, supramundane, a factor of the path. So, this is in the Machatari Saka Sutta, Rajima Nikaya, and you'll see this kind of, this phrase repeated many times, so, you know, you go back to it and ponder it a bit at a time. But, it starts off, you know, there is a result, there, there are, mm, there is given what is offered, so there is something, there is that quality of giving, offering, there is this opening, there is this sense of reaching out, there is this sense of coming out of me to into towards you. Yeah. This is right view, there is this. Um, and what is sacrifice? There's the ability to abandon, to say, I'll let go of my bit. You know, for, for your welfare. There is the fruit and result of good and bad actions, and actions are both are physical, uh, heartful, mm-hmm. you know, and verbal. And naturally, the dominant one is the mental one because that's what directs the body and the speech. So there are good and bad, and they have good and re- good and bad results for oneself and for others. And uh, this is right view. If we don't have this, well, we really are lost. Mm. And often, you know, what is prescribed or recommended for people, for medical, for everyone actually, is absorption. And for a start, we absorb into the good and bad actions, well, the good actions that we've done. <laughs> We acknowledge the bad actions and we a sense of regret, learning, that was a mistake, don't do that again. Uh-huh. And we absorb into the good that we have done, the, the good, the, the offering that we've made, the opening that we have experienced, the sense of personal relinquishment for the world for another that we have, we have activated. And we absorb into that. Not just thinking of the thing and saying, what a good boy am I, but actually feeling that opening of the heart 
oh yeah, that felt that feels good. This is absorption. This is the process of it. It begins, jhana begins there. If we don't begin there, it's it's really difficult to, to begin it at stage three, like trying to meditate, you know, sit down and concentrate and then do it. No, no. You start here and it will begin to roll because you'll feel this opening and sense of a bit of relaxation, a bit of uh, warmth, bright bright light, metaphorically speaking. Oh, this? And the gladness. So when there's gladness, then the worry and the doubt and the restlessness will begin to abate. When there's gladness and comfort, some of these hindrances by themselves will begin to melt away. And, you know, this is the Buddha's advice. Absorb. Don't stint yourself. Wallow in it. <laughs> because people often do, don't notice very much. Yeah. So good. And, you know, we all do good. Yeah. So when you're doing things, just really, when you do, just notice what's happening. Notice what's happening, just not in the thing you're doing, but actually what's happening in, in the heart sense of humour, love, warmth, friendship, whatever. You know, just notice that. Get into that. There's a good energy there. This is this is a field of good energy, and it's everybody. So it's not not the only person does this. We all do this. We're in this field, and the more it's shared, the more activated and potentised it becomes. And this is called sangha when it starts to you know, almost bind everybody together in this quality. You know, this is this is the beginning of it. And then, you know, particularly why the value, essential value of Kalyanamita means uh, people are in that, in that field with you, putting it crudely. The t- or the times we can be, you know, when our, when our minds, hearts are in that place. And, there is Kalyanamita. Kalyanamita is lovely, beautiful, good, worthy, admirable. When there's that, and it's it's brought forth, acknowledged, and it's shared. This is Kalyanamita. And the Buddha said, you need this. There's only four things you need to enter the stream, essentially. Your own deep attention, Kalyanamita, hearing the good Dhamma, and practice in accord with the good Dhamma. Now, you know, on the, on the actual level, you know, on the realistic level, you know, like where do you think the good dhamma is going to come from? <laughs> Kalyanamita, your own deep attention. Where do you think practice in accordance with dhamma is going to come from? Kalyanamita, your own deep attention. So what is most essential? Kalyanamita, deep attention. Yeah. And he's saying, do you need this? Uh-huh. So, yeah. <coughs> maybe my own deep attention is my business, in some ways, but Kalyanamita, mm-hmm. I can't just generate that myself. There needs to be skillful association. You, not them. That has to be going in a sense of you know, mutuality.
absorb into that because that takes some of the weight off and some of the pressure and some of the doubt I am or not I'm left with my own opinions about myself which are often not very gracious mm-hmm. so you know this is this is really valuable stuff and I hope you appreciate all that right view means you you, you, you know that and you remember it Wrong view, you don't know it, you don't act upon it, and leads to arrogance. There is this world and the other world, well, you know. So we only sense that just this sense consciousness, you know, pop out of a womb and pack up 60, 70, 50, 80 years later, is that it? Well, it's kind of a bit bleak if you ask me and also um, you know somebody I didn't come out of somebody's body so let's let's get that one straight you know. I mean it wasn't just do it on my own it didn't just pop out of nowhere um, there was something that gave me birth uh, I did arise from something this body arose from something maybe this mind arises from something you know. there's the field and this is this is the point of it you think you know, it suddenly switches on at birth and switches off at death and it's not connected to anything else. Well, that's pretty miserable. But with the field, now, you know, so the problem of language here talks about, it's translated as rebirth, but the Buddha didn't actually use those words. He said there's further becoming. In other words, there's a process where it just keeps rolling on. Pono means it, it keeps moving on, right? And there's also upajati, which means the arising into birth. Something arises into this aggregated form, which has got solidity and matter. And differentiation arises into this, and then when this form breaks up, break, the form breaks up, and then it subsides and it arises again. And, you know, so that's, that's the map. Um, it's not that... You know, that, that's the map, the arising into these aggregates and the dissolving and the arising again, the wave form, which is the way fields are. If you notice in your own mind, it's waving, isn't it? And it can wave through many worlds. You can wave into hell realms of hatred and fear. You can waver into hungry ghost realms of endless addiction and deprivation and... and greed uh, what beings do in this life so whether you want to think there's another life or not it's up to you but you know you can notice it in this very life that waveform so you know, we do recognise we're part of some inheritance. Mother, father. Mother, the nourisher. Father, the protector. On an archetypal level. On a phys- on an actual level, probably, you know, not 100% perfect. And naturally, there's, there's various kind of problems around that. can occur around one sense of uh, how you see women and men how you feel about particular male energies or female energies and stuff like that starts happening and then we have to be with that and come 
terms with that and meet that. So this is right view and the good news, of course, there are those Brahmins and recluses who realise by themselves by direct knowledge and declare this world in the other world. It doesn't say they're enlightened. It doesn't say they're out of it. No. Does it? They know this. They know this. They know this. They know this. They know these worlds. The Buddha's called one who knows the worlds. Yeah. So is, is he in it or out of it? <laughs> and the Buddha refused to say, he said, if you say I'm in it, you haven't got it right. If you say I'm out of it, you haven't got it right. If you say that the Tathagata is within the aggregates, that's not right. If you say that the Tathagata doesn't have aggregates, that's not right. If you say he sort of does and doesn't, that's not right. He says, untrackless is the Tathagata, but he's arisen in this world. Oh, oh. oh, well, I'll just get back to the breath. <laughs> but my view that's noble, taintless, just says, here's the wisdom, the faculty of wisdom, the investigation of state's wisdom. You know, you recognize there's this quality of seeing and knowing, you know, knowing and seeing. And this is this has right view because it is seeing and knowing. Therefore, it, it is right view because it's seeing and knowing how it is. Yeah. But there isn't anybody there who's seeing and knowing, is there? Is the seeing and knowing? So, you know, when we, there's a kind of a, sometimes a subtopic for meditators, a crack between awareness and activities, awareness and, and um, that which one is aware of, one is aware of body states, mind states, feelings, good and bad and so forth, and there's an awareness of that. And sometimes the tendency to be just to split off, like, well, this other stuff doesn't, it's just conditioned, don't get in there go to the unconditioned, the, the awareness of things, you know, just be the awareness of things. And depends how you how you want to operate with that, whether it really is that, and then from that awareness you begin to review the conditioned with a sense of wisdom and handling and whatever. Yeah. But if, and there can be the tendency on occasion, or, you know, depending, that because I can't really handle the conditioned stuff, well, not me, not really me, that's just stuff, I'm out of here. And so you get another abstraction, another crack between, say, awareness and, and these karma formations, mental formations, emotional formations, human existences, there's a sort of split where one isn't really able to handle, and then it could be a split off from that. Now you notice um, the Buddha arises in this world and he spent most every moment of his day and through the night entering the human realm he had the capacity to do so I don't 
I'm going to get my shot on and shut your people out. <laughs> the Buddha, bless him, was able to take on a lot more. And, you know, he said you're supposed to just sleep a couple of hours a night just to really let the body regenerate. And so, you know, what's that about? Why then this, this sense of the Brahma Sahampati? Now, you know, you have the two interesting figures, if you look at mother and father. The Buddha before is in like this moment of awakening and touches the earth and the mother arises, you know, which is the, the sense of, you know, that which supports and nourishes you as in, in, in your presence. Yeah? It's your nature it's arising. So it's called the Mother Earth acknowledges, you know, your beauty, your strength, your virtue. This is you. You need that. And so from that position, the Buddha they would say, you know, feeling that sense of affirmation, I know this Mara, you know, apathy, lethargy, boredom, avarice, passion, I know what it is, you know. And then the dissolving of all that, and the images of the mother, um, earth mother, her hair, she wrings her hair, and the water flushes all the host of Mara away. And you can, you know, Make what you like of that. Paint, paint a picture of it. Try to grow your hair long. <laughs> but essentially, what does it mean on a kind of poetic level? There's some sense of a melting and you know, a washing away from the place of that affirmation and enrichment. You know, and this is you know figurative language. Can you crystallise some of that? And then after his awakening, after his clarification in the, the Buddha's kind of, well, you know, well, here we are, sitting under these various trees. Uh, he has a, definitely had a powerful relationship with trees, um, nature, the earth, the most beautiful creatures on the planet, in my opinion. And then he gets this father, and the father is a social awareness saying, you have a certain duty here. And it's called the Brahma Sahampati, and the word means sublime. Brahma uh, is Brahma, the Saha, all, all, Pati Father, the sublime All Father. You know, so it's something that protects as an overview of the world of manifestation. So it's the sky rather than the earth. And you say you have a certain duty here. So is that recognition? And it says, pray, teach the Dhamma out of Anukampa. Anukampa literally means to, to tremble in the presence of, to shake or to tremble or to be moved by Anu along with or together with or in the presence of. So you've arisen in this world. You've aggregated in this world something that you must, your duty is to resonate with it. And the Buddha got it. And so, I don't know if he knew what to do because he walked off and then the first person he met he said, Well, um, you know, I'm the Buddha, the, the enlightened one, um, I'm the one who knows all, all conqueror. And the guy said, Well, good. <laughs> wandered off, you know. <laughs> it's 
that didn't quite work. So I don't think he had it all sorted out what he was going to teach till he, till he turned up at Varanasi to see his old mates, his old buddies, and told them, well, look, this is what you're doing wrong, you know. You could see, you knew them. So some sense of actually specific people. And the Buddha always, in my view, try to reach people where they're at. To Brahmins, he talk about the Vedas or the, the higher knowledges. To businessmen, he talk about how to be a skillful businessman. You know, he'd actually try to reach people where they were in the language they, they could use. So that, that's that reaching out. You know, from the awareness into the conditioned, with a sense of resonating sympathetically with people. He liked them or not, you know, with, even with kind of demons, he'd sort of say, good demon, please sit down. <laughs> Surely it's like this. You know? Pray do not do this, otherwise you will come to grief. <laughs> so there's always that sense, there's respect, you know. And although respect sometimes is a kind of starchy word, because it's become that way, but it, it really means we're able to differentiate and you know, we, we resonate, we don't intrude, we don't dominate, we don't jump on people, even, even when we think we're doing them good, we just resonate in that place. And that's respect. So, you know, this is kind of where where we just to for meditators and for people, you know, we have these spheres of the awareness and the activity. And there's often a bit of a uncertainty around around those two. Because when I act, I get sort of so tangled up, and then oh, fed up, to chill out. Oh, that awareness, I feel really good. Hmm. Oh, I've got to pay the taxes. Oh my God, taxes. Oh, frazzled, burn out. And then back to awareness again. You know, so we sort of find the the these two realms seem to be quite difficult to to hold together, and surely part of our practice is to be able to handle this dualistic experience with some sense of okay, you know, reasonable what's called unburdened with duties. So reasonable what we can manage and then you ate what we can manage with sympathy and with good heart in our lives. And you have to keep assessing that. And I guess it changes from year to year. You just keep reviewing assessing. Rather than, I am this position, you know, I am the abbot, I am the director, I am the head of this or the other. No. No, you've offered to be that, to hold that, and now mm, what works, what's... Mm, then you just keep assessing and checking that out. Because these two realms have to be integrated, otherwise the split occurs. And what occurs around it is a subtle sense of I am, in, in, the, in the, either in awareness, or in the activity. You either take yourself, your responsibility too seriously, like, if I don't, am I here, everything's going to fall apart. Or, I am awareness, I don't need to be in this stuff. And you know, the split occurs. And certainly, you know, this is what I find Maranusati really helpful for, so I'd offer this, recommend. 
you know, recommend you, you bear this in mind, this is fruitful, worthy, conducive to right view. Death, Marilyn's death. Recollection of this aggregated thing breaks up. And it just doesn't go on like 100% until, oh, goodbye, pop. It sort of goes down slowly. It's break up and you think, well, actually, I ain't dead yet. It's going that way. <laughs> it ain't what it used to be. It's time to back off, you know. You start to realise it's just pragmatic. And recognising, you know, I might die tonight. So... If I die tonight here, I'm head of department, I did I'm die tonight. What do you think would happen? They go, Oh dear, I will send some flowers, um, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's your life. That's your that's your burden. Didn't take long, did it? Well <laughs> 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 we were shopping some other mug gets stuck with it. <laughs> so there you are thinking, oh well depends on me, I'm really got I'm obliged. I've got to do this and no matter what, I'm not falling apart but I keep on doing it. Yeah, who's telling you? Do you believe them? So you hold up the flag, death. <laughs> <laughs> and I generally try to do this at least once a day, every night, because I get take myself seriously. You know, death, 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 death. <laughs> you can't control the world. You can't sort people out. You can't. Make it all perfect. You can't ensure that this thing's going to go on forever. Death, 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 death. Get in. <laughs> oh, no, but, but. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's worthwhile? Just open the heart. Grateful. I had some chance to do good. Grateful. I had some chance to do good. Grateful. It doesn't go bad. It goes the right way. And then there's the results of the good deeds. You don't aggregate them, you don't stuck get stuck in them. So then, you know, then good deeds are not, don't become burdens, they become, you know, your attitude towards them, just do what I can, At the end of the day, sweep it away, next day I'll get refreshed, I can do what I can, irritating, frustrating, whatever, do what I can, At the end of the day I'll be patient, didn't lose my temper, Made a bit of a mistake there, but never mind. Uh, end of the day, okay, thank you. I'd like to say thank you at the end of it, rather than, oh dear. <laughs> I'd like to get to the end and say thank you, rather than, oops, sorry. You know? So, you know, there's, there's the, good, the, the beauty of good deeds and recollecting them. And really one should not spare oneself this. And death helps recollection of it. <clears throat> then what's good goes into the field. And you should not doubt that. And Buddha very often says this, your good deeds travel with you. The goodness enters the field of the future arising. <clears throat> and so you start to look at those Boundaries and barriers, which are helpful, differentiation, which become, you know, uh, slightly stiffened with regret or guilt, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not welcome here, or I'm the odd one out, or it's my, you know, however it is, the things that clog the energy. You know, 
I've got to do this all on my own, that's another one. Mm. Where you, you, it's called vipalasa. And it means that chitta vipalasa means that the chitta is actually not correctly aligned. Yeah. Chitta vipalasa means you tend to do more than you actually is appropriate. Yeah. Or your reactions and responses are imbalanced. Mm because of this, these, these, these boundaries. Now, how, how it works, for example, you know, this is a bit mysterious, for various uh, uh, reasons or non-reasons. And some of it's a very basic primary stuff, you know, childhood stuff, you know, parental stuff. And for some reason, you know, I recognise as a sense of, of not welcome, that hovers, you know, not welcome. Mm. So do a bit more to get over that. So you end up doing more to get over the sense of not being good enough. You do more to get over the sense of not, you don't know why not good enough, but something not good enough. So you do a bit more in order to be good enough. And so jitta gets calibrated to over overextension, overdoing. Yeah. And but the reckon, the way to recognise this, these things such as this, is you follow those tendencies of you know, I do a bit more than things will be okay, and you recognise after all, no, when I actually do, it's still not okay. Because it wasn't actions that, that made it that way. It was just how the field in which you arose, perhaps was one in which for one reason or another, you weren't entirely welcome. Because human beings have blind spots. So that gets patterned in as, I have to do a bit more in order to be okay. So the chitta is 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 vipalasad. It's kind of twisted a bit, and you get the overachievement. No matter what you do, it's still not good enough because it hasn't actually entered that particular pattern. As it hasn't got there, it's always you know actually addressing the fundamental topic of how how we arise in the field. So. So when you get the, these, you begin to recognise that perhaps that, you know, if you're a sort of busy person, you know, and, and I've noticed this, I went, somebody took me on a, on a holiday in South Africa a few years back, and they said, Ajahn, this is not a pilgrimage, this is, this is a holiday for you, we're giving this to you, for a holiday just for you, you don't need to teach us. We're not looking for you to be inspiring. This is a holiday for you. So they kind of, all we want to do is feed you once a day. We'll feed you twice a day, three times a day if you like. We just want to feed you and you have a break. So I was in this kind of lovely little place, little cottage, and they were doing their thing, and I was, so I'd come down, and then at a certain time of day they'd offer food very happily, and say, mm-hmm, whatever you want to do, and you want to do, go ahead, do it. So we were beside the sea, and there's this, there was a lagoon, 
uh, where you could float or swim and there's an ocean and stuff and a beach. Yeah, so I'm walking on this beach thinking, oh, I suppose I should sort of um, do something. I, suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I can't just can't waste my time write something and prepare something. Just, just, just beach. Um, well, maybe I shouldn't be here. Monk shouldn't be on beaches, surely. <laughs> Not appropriate. Why? There's nobody else around. No, I don't know, just... Mm. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of sitting down on this beach, and I think, oh, better. so I find a rock, I can sit behind a rock, so I'm uh, like, nobody's noticing me, I'm okay, nobody's feeling offended by me, I'm not doing anything wrong, I'm sitting behind this rock. Sitting there, I'm still getting these kind of virtual people around me saying, not good, you know, not good. It's kind of in my mind, you should be doing something. This is, this is just indulgent. Relaxing, sunshine, this is, this is, no, this is not good, this is indulgent. God. Which I said, look, I'm sorry, I've got to do it this way right now. And then he went away. I know I'm, I know I've failed, but right now it's like this. Live with it. <laughs> so they went away for a while, and then these people also then they gave me like a little kind of inflatable um, little raft thing. And so you you know you can go into this lagoon. So I had this sort of inflatable thing. I, Actually, not a soul inside, a couple of couple of egrets who didn't look like they were bothered or offended or disapproving. So I pushed into the lagoon and I went back. What time it is? How long have we been here? Oh, just relax. Is it eight o'clock? It doesn't matter what time it is. They don't care. But here in five minutes, so it doesn't matter. Five minutes, ten minutes, just, just enjoy it. Maybe I should be thinking, thinking no, just, just relax. <laughs> wow, this is this is deep stuff. <laughs> I'm not doing anything important or serious or purposeful or worthwhile. Just relax. <laughs> Making the good, you have done some good, enjoy it. Enjoy the people who wanted to do it, you didn't ask them to, they gave it to you. Just enjoy the good. But maybe I should, it's a bit late now, after I've been here 20 minutes. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're impossible. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> so you just start to see these places where these, these senses lurk and they start to, as you listen to them, you come and hear these familiar voices. What's in the field around, you know, the field of disapproval, the field of you should come up to some standard. You don't know what the standard is, apart from you're not there yet. And no matter how high you push and how tight you get and how much effort you put, you never quite. There's always somebody that was a bit ahead of the line. <laughs> you just got to keep raising your game until you think, oh, I, I, I've had enough of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay.
those moments of, then you, you begin to actually realize something. Nobody asked it of you. So these are, you know, the two, just to recognize it, the, the quality of volition, and you don't know because you, you can't, you haven't got a standard you can check it out with, you can't say how much effort is right effort. You can't just, there's a tidiness in, just what's appropriate, survive, appropriate, you know, what's that? Well, just, you know, what feels right, you know, what's that? There isn't an abstract guide. And some people have got this way and that way and some people do this and some people do that way. What's, what's the kind of qualities of effort and energy and so forth that lead to wholesome states and the dispelling of the asava and the, under, and the abolition of the anutsaya, which are these, I'm calling the cracks places where you go there's something wrong and it's probably me what abolishes that that's what's that's what's encouraged that's what's encouraged for one's welfare and happiness and we have that as the Buddha said look I wouldn't teach you if you couldn't do it. You wouldn't waste his time, would it? I wouldn't teach you if it didn't, if it wasn't for for your welfare. I wouldn't teach it to you if it didn't make you feel better. So you can do it, but you use those, those guidelines. It's true. It's good and it's happy, it's comfortable, and when it's not, you know, where's that, where's that, beware of the abstractions, the, the words, the laws, the rules, the external abstractions, beware of those, even the ones you create for yourself, your self-imagery, beware of those, and enter nature, this is why we practice Hopefully in a natural and friendly environment. Absorb into that, your mind does samadha, it does unify. And you can then also feel as a unified quality in your system whereby clarity of your awareness can enter the field of your actions. And the Warmth of your awareness can enter the field of your actions, and there isn't a division. So let's um, pause there for today. Thank you.